Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. I live in rural New Mexico, just outside of Albuquerque. Last summer, I was stringing corral fence. A Navajo friend, Tom Bill, visiting while he attended a powwow in Albuquerque, watched as I hammered away at a corner post. The horses began to spook. What's got them stirred up, he asked. I told him that every night coyotes ran down our road, making the dogs bark and the horses go crazy. Then Tom told me a story. One night last April, about 2 a.m., he said, L was driving along the Crown Point Road in my truck when I heard a noise. Seemed at first to be coming from the engine, a strange sound like a dog panting. I got car trouble, I thought. Then I heard a footfall behind me, back over my right shoulder. I looked down at the speedometer, and I was traveling about 55 or 60 miles an hour. I glanced into my rearview mirror, and the hair stood up on the back of my neck. There was some guy I'd never seen, a Navajo, and he was running just in back of the tailgate. I couldn't see his face, just his torso lit by my taillights, 
his arms and legs flying up and down incredibly fast. I sped up to around 75 and looked back. He had disappeared, but I heard a breathing sound right by my left ear. I looked out the window, and there he was, running along, keeping pace with me. As I was looking at him out the window, he veered off toward Crown Point. I knew he was no ordinary man, because he was traveling so fast. Just before he disappeared into the brush, he had changed into a wolf. So you better watch out. Those coyotes spooking your horses may not be coyotes. My uncle once told me, and this was a very chilling story, about a time when he and one of my other uncles went deer hunting in the foothills of Mount Taylor. He saw a deer up in some rocks and shot at it. Then he heard a voice, a human voice, somebody calling out his name and crying for him to help. My uncle was seized with fear at the sound of this voice summoning him. Cautiously, he went up there to see what was going on. He saw a man lying on his side, wounded. The man was only half human, the top half, and the rest of him was some kind of animal. I don't know if it was a wolf or not. I think it was a deer, but my uncle knew this was some kind of spirit. He was afraid to come any closer. He felt that it would get him if he approached any nearer. Then the rest of the men came and they said, let's get out of here. This is some kind of witch or spirit that wants to take human form. My uncle told this story in great detail. I was doing survival training for the Air Force and on the second night, not 50 yards from our campsite, I hear gunshots. I've spent a lot of time around guns, so I know what 50 yards sounds like with a handgun or a long gun. This was a smaller caliber handgun, maybe 38 caliber or 9mm. We decided to ignore it as it was probably the cotter doing something to play mind tricks, so we didn't do anything about it. A few days later as we finished, we found out that a man had been shot in the wilderness near us. In the last few years, I have yet to see any news that has to do with the random shooting of a guy near Colorado Springs. It was either in Sailor Park or near USAF grounds. I can't remember exactly due to the amount of training we did. I have been hesitant on posting any story mainly due to the fact that I don't want anyone ever thinking that I or the person the story is about is crazy. Although saying this actually happened sounds very cliche, but I can assure you the following stories are true. Now before I begin the first story, just for a bit of background, I am an intern for a church that does work on a Navajo reservation site helping the community on people's homes like roofing repair, repainting, and interior fixing. 8-5 with good pay and nice people so overall I'm happy with this. And as a bit of a disclaimer, I'm not trying to offend Navajo tradition in any way. This is just a first-hand story on what is currently happening on my trip. Over the past two months of the internship, I have begun to grow fairly close with some of the residents on the reservation. One lady in particular that I got to know pretty well was the superstitious type, like said never be outside at night or other random seeming things to me like that, but the biggest taboo I knew to never mention mainly because I was told by my superiors, was Navajo folklore like skinwalkers. However, one day it was very different in the sense that the question was just burning within me. 
I was on my lunch break after wrapping up painting parts of her house, and she sits next to me on her porch and we talk for a while. But I finally feel comfortable enough to ask her about any folklore about werewolves or anything of that sorts. I didn't really expect a response. I thought maybe she'd quickly say no then change the topic, but if anything I was more scared I may offend her. But to my surprise she turns her head looking toward the outside scenery, hesitates, but then says, yes, I know some and I've experienced it too. She proceeded to tell me a description on the apparent equivalent to a werewolf. To paraphrase she said, werewolves look like normal people but masked in white paint covering their face, arms, and chest. Their whole body is white as a corpse, covered with black symbols quite possibly related to devil worshipping. More specifically, they are grave diggers and necromancers as well. They dig bodies up only to steal jewelry, although they may perform other acts to corpses as she quickly strayed away from going into too much detail about that point. Werewolves also get their power from the devil. That is how they are able to possess such supernatural strength and endurance. I was surprised to hear this, although I figured werewolves wouldn't look anything like that in Twilight or Scooby-Doo. Although, deep down, even I thought she sounded a bit crazy. Before I could ask more questions about these werewolves, she began to tell me her own interaction with these supernatural beasts, and her story still gives me chills. She explained that one day her and her husband were driving on the curvy roads alongside the mountains only to find a woman with her face covered by her hands and was kneeling in the middle of the road appearing as though she was crying. The woman looks up towards the car's headlights to reveal the very same white paint and sacrificial symbols mentioned previously. Her husband honked his horn and quickly slams on the brakes only to be too late and hears the loud cracking sound of the women's bones and the splash of blood all over the windshield. Once her and her husband stopped the car safely and processed what the hell just happened, they quickly run over to the spot where they hit the women. However, once they reached the spot, there was no body, but not only that, there was no trace of blood either. Just as a side note, this part of the reservation had some cliffs, but it was relatively flat land, so it would be obvious to tell where someone is, especially if they just got hit by a car. Puzzled by what the possible explanation could be for this occurrence, her and her husband drove back home trying to neglect the thought that they just witnessed a werewolf. However, being the non-paranormal believers they were at the time, they tried to just close this occurrence off as them just losing their minds. As interesting as her story was, this got me thinking. Is it possible for this werewolf story to be true? Or is this her own way of describing a skinwalker or other supernatural phenomenon because she didn't think I knew what a skinwalker was? This question kept circulating through my head. So as you could expect, the following nights made it harder for me to sleep comfortably. Because of that, during the workdays I would feel more and more mentally drained, almost paranoid. At the end of the week around six, I was sitting in the car driving back to the church site and was in the mental state of mind where I was half awake and half asleep. My buddy was driving and claimed that he wanted to pull over to the gas station that was near the church to grab a couple of snacks to munch on during our debrief time in our cabin. Since I was too tired to argue, I said fine and laid my face against the window and tried to doze off while waiting for my friend. However, I had the weirdest feeling that I was being watched. 
So naturally I opened my eyes and looked out the window, I saw nothing. However when I turned my head, out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw a white figure, just as the woman described previously. I looked back and nothing was there. But I swear I saw something. Since it was beginning to get darker outside, I quickly sat up in my seat to readjust my vision. But when I looked back out the window it was almost as though the figure vanished. Perplexed, I stepped outside the car and looked around, but there was no trace of a creature even existing. My buddy comes back to the car and questions what the heck I was doing. Debating whether or not I should tell him, I decided to just say, Oh, I'm just getting some fresh air, let's head out. The following days have been even worse for me. My mood is getting worse, I'm feeling way more paranoid that something is out there and at night I can almost swear that I hear scream in the far distance. Everything outside just looks 100 times scarier too, because there is barely any outside light besides the moonlight, so everything has more of an exaggerated appearance. But believe me, I know I sound crazy. But the worst part is that if I tell anyone they'll think I'm crazy too. So I have been debating whether or not I actually saw the werewolf that the lady described, or if it was just my tired eyes playing tricks on me. I hope someone can find some sort of answer to this werewolf mystery. Also, if you have any similar paranormal stories like this, please share. I am trying my best to become more aware about the paranormal. If I find anything, then I will give future updates about any more encounters or odd discoveries. I'm 31 years old and from central Pennsylvania. But this story takes place back in September of 2008 when I lived in Ohio. At that time my best friend Sierra and I went to a state park named Hawking Hills in for a day retreat from our busy lives. We had decided on this at random when we first got together early in the morning just after sunrise. It was a nice warm late summer day, and we just got the wild notion to go for a drive to Hawking Hills since the area is well known for its several walking trails, a cave or two, and several waterfalls and running water, creek areas. The day was very warm, maybe roughly 70 degrees Fahrenheit, 21 degrees Celsius, so we had worn shorts and short sleeve t-shirts. We started down a trail at random and found that part of the trail had been washed out, so we had to take another path which according to our phone's GPS tool would force us to cross a small country road. As we played with our mobile phones and noted it was roughly 12 noon EST, we happened to be passed by a group of seemingly odd backpackers before we reached the road and one of the people gripped my shoulder and turned me around to warn us to be aware of a washout up ahead. If we were going to take the trail into the woods, instead the person who stopped us let go of my shoulder and recommended we follow the trail nearby which would go next to the forest fire lookout tower, instead as it bypassed a small clump of downed brush. As we crossed the road to the tower trail, we noticed there was caution tape all over the fire tower. There was a pungent smell in the air which we could not identify. The windows on top of the tower appeared to be taped up, grimy and there were flies all over the area. We walked past it, commenting on how odd it was, and continued down the trail we had been recommending to take, but it was one neither of us had noticed before on a previous walk to the area. This trail took us past the fire tower and then cut into the woodlands. 
As we walked into the forest, maybe 2,500 feet or 457 meters or so, we took notice that no one seemed to be around. And in fact, not only did we feel isolated from others, but we felt very chilled without explanation. Sierra pointed it out verbally while I was thinking it, but we just continued walking. Eventually, the air started to get noticeably chillier and damper. This did not seem unusual at first, but as we continued to walk, the air seemed to go from warm to what felt like the mid-50s Fahrenheit or 10 Celsius, and we started to shiver. It was also getting darker as we continued forward. At first, I thought it was just due to the green leaves on the trees and maybe a passing cloud overhead, but the darkness really did not improve as one expected. As we walked, we looked around and there was nothing but trees on all sides. There should have been a forest edge somewhere as the area wasn't really that big, but aside from some hills and tall pine trees, there wasn't a real ending to the woods like we expected as the area tends to be narrow and normally you can see the edges. My friend took out her phone to use her GPS because she instinctively felt lost, but her battery was nearly gone. I took mine out of my back pocket and it had no signal. The battery was also near dead and showed EE for the time meaning it couldn't update as it was an older style flip phone with a camera and when set to auto adjust would contact the mobile phone network every 15 minutes. It was only then as the light grew dimmer that I noticed the area seemed very silent, our footsteps, the leaves we stepped on, grass, twigs, and our breathing just echoed. Sierra got spooked and I did too. She mentioned it was very out of the ordinary and I agreed, but I couldn't shake this sense of foreboding that something was amiss. I tried to rationalize it, but I really honestly couldn't figure any of it out at all. We just pressed onwards, and after going down a small hill and back up, it seemed to have gotten a lot darker. The world seemed to have gone from just shadowy to near twilight darkness. My friend grabbed my arm and started freaking out about how weird it got then the air seemed to have gone still, and we had a feeling of something wrong. We both took off running looking for an exit. For some odd reason, we never thought to turn around at all and just got back the way we came. It never seemed to occur to us as we ran, but the spookiness continued as we could hear our steps echo off the area as things just felt like they grew more gloomy. Then ahead of us down another small dip in the trail, we could see two large honeysuckle bushes on either side of the trail like a gate. We made a mad dash mostly with her pulling me for these bushes, and just as we pushed through the plants something odd happened we were overwhelmed by a change in our surroundings as light, sound, and warmth returned all at once. It was like stepping outside of a cold, empty, and dark building onto a warm, busy street. We stood at the edge of a place known as Ash Cave, which has a large waterfall not too far away with a U-shaped cliff. I turned around to look back from where we emerged, and while the bushes were the same, the area was so different brighter not silent for sure and warm. In fact, our skin was cold to touch, which just reinforced the facts. We took out our phones and the time had finally updated. It was now 4 p.m. The normal trail would only have taken an hour to walk fully, so it was a loss of three full hours. Logic attempted to set in, and we decided the trail we came up with must have just appeared creepy because there may have been clouds overhead or a storm blew by. But when we went back between the bushes, there was no trail. Nothing looked like it had a few seconds ago. Sierra walked around the bushes twice, 
and it was the same bright sunny day with no darkness and no trail. We waited, it was blue sky overhead, and we could see the edges of the forest and other people. The trail had simply vanished as if we had never walked it. On returning to the normal trail with the washout, we ended up locating an offshoot path, which took us back past the fire tower. It was here we noticed it was normal looking as the windows were not taped and very clean, and there was no pungent smell. We don't know what it was, but it certainly was creepy. Of course, I jokingly told her later that day over dinner we had entered the fairy realms by mistake and were lucky to get away. She didn't find that funny, of course, but either way we both felt we should share this with you. And if anyone out there has had a similar experience, perhaps they can provide insight or share their own. The witness and his cousin were out hunting near Johnson City, Tennessee and were sitting on the side of the wall of a rather large hollow, which consisted of very thick underbrush and lots of evergreen. A larger valley then lead first to a clearing, and then on to a supposed old Indian graveyard. All of the sudden they heard the brush in the hollow below rattling, and they could tell that whatever was making the sounds was rather large. The main witness was armed with a Ruger 10-22 rifle with approximately 150 rounds of ammo ready to go. Under his night vision scope, he could see what appeared to be a man, but upon further inspection, he realized that the man was a creature about seven, eight feet tall, approximately 450 pounds. It was covered with thick black fur and was slimmer than the popular Bigfoot image, almost skinny with a neck. Also protruding on either side of its head were long tapered horns, also black in color. On the top of the head also protruded a horn pointing straight up, all horns were approximately 5-6 inch in length and were the same dark color as the creature. The terrified witness emptied a 25-round clip into the creature and then retreated into a nearby cabin about 65 feet away. The next morning they could not find anything except for lots of spent shell casings and bullet holes on a walnut tree. He thought he had struck the creature several times. Nearby animals traps had been sprung and all the bait extracted. On a nearby ridge, the witnesses located a series of tunnels made up of brush and various sizes of tree limbs, vines, and leaves. They thought it could have been the lair of the beast. Afraid, they returned home. I was camping in remote East Texas with four other guys. We had hiked for a couple of days and were camped in some pretty thick trees. About 20 yards down a hill was a small river which flowed into a nearby lake, which we were hoping to get to the next day. We had all gone down for sleep, but myself and one other guy saw a light from down the hill, a bit to our east. We woke the others as it looked like people, and we were pretty remote. As it got closer, we realized it was a base boat with a floodlight coming up the river. People that lived somewhere on the lake, it is weird though, because we know they don't live upriver anywhere. The river runs into some rough terrain and narrows to the point you couldn't get through with a boat. So they were just coming up the river for no reason at about 1 a.m. with a floodlight scanning both sides of the river. We stay hunkered down and get our one rifle out, just in case. It's creepy because it really does feel like they're looking for somebody on shore, but we are far enough back to not be seen if we stay laying down. 
As they get close, we hear a woman's voice talking. It sounds strange like it's not a conversational way of speaking. As they get close, it sounds like she's reciting something. One guy says it's T.S. Elliot. These are backwoods people reciting T.S. Elliot into the dark forest at one in the morning from a base boat. They came by with this woman just reading this crazy shit while shining the light all over, and some giant duck dynasty looking dude silently driving the boat. Scariest part was that they passed and never came back downriver. We took turns keeping watch, although I didn't really sleep at all, then quietly slipped on down the trail in the morning, trying to hide signs we were there. We ended up cutting really wide around the lake to avoid whoever these crazy redneck poetry fans were. When I was maybe seven or eight, I spent the better part of a month at a cabin in the woods with my grandpa and my little cousin. This cabin was up from Fontana Lake in North Carolina. My papa grew up there and was on his way out, and I guess he just wanted to spend time with some of his grandkids and show us what his life was like before he passed. The trip was great, I had an absolute blast, but there was two bizarre events that I still can't fully wrap my head around. There was like a half a mile gravel road that stemmed from an awful one lane road that ended at a dirt trail which lead to the front porch of the cabin. It was out of the way up in the woods and had no one near it. This cabin is or was small and smelled like mildew. It had a living room, kitchen and bedroom, no bathroom, everything was tiny. You had to either go outside or walk a few miles to the docks. Papa said he'd had problems with bobcats at night climbing around the cabin and yelling so if we heard something strange outside we shouldn't be alarmed. This, of course, alarmed us. A few nights into the stay around 1.30 a.m., me and my cousin were woken up by a knock on the door. We were asleep in the living room and my papa was in the bedroom. I wasn't about to answer the door and my cousin was freaking the hell out. We waited in paralyzed silence as the knocks continued and got louder until it was basically someone or something kicking the door. Not surprisingly, they didn't wake up my papa. The man's snores were house-shaking lie loud, and you'd basically have to slap him to get him up. Once the kick started, the fear-induced paralysis wore off and turned into absolute panic. I bolted to the bedroom and shook my papa awoke. Upon hearing the banging at the door, he grabbed his revolver. He then went to the door and, without saying anything, just shot a few rounds through. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns the door and went back to bed. My cousin and I didn't sleep after that. The next day my papa simply said, no one has any business being up here. The porch surprisingly was clean, but the dirt path, gravel driveway, and road were blood soaked. The blood went across and down the road and ended near the docks. The police never came and nothing was ever said about it again. I told my mom once after my papa had passed 
and she wasn't shocked at all. She even said my papa and his brother shot a pedophile in Mississippi after he tried to prostitute some little girls to them while they were on a fishing trip. My papa was a hard-boiled, stubborn, God-fearing man, and I miss him, even if he did occasionally shoot people. Next up, during the second week, we took a pontoon boat to the dam. Near the shore of the right side of the dam was a dead snake half on land, half and half in the water, seriously 40-plus feet in length. It was easily longer than the boat and bloated. My papa said there was an abandoned zoo, and it probably came from that and had just been living around the lake. Not so much mysterious or creepy, but definitely weird. When I was a kid 10-12, maybe there was this really old creepy house just round the corner from me. I lived in a fairly nice area, and this house was just old and had stained net curtains and a cracked front door and all the works. The guy worked irregular shifts, so nobody ever really saw him. But other kids would tell stories that they saw him coming home in the early hours with dead animals and bloody knives. Obviously, the rest of us laughed it off as BS. Anyway, one summer we were all bored and decided to sneak past the factories round the back of his house and onto a patch of grass to try to get a look through his back garden. To get there you had to sneak past these buildings, through a bunch of trees, and then through a mesh fence that we had to climb over. Not an accessible place at all, and no other way to get to it. Four of us made the trip, and took turns to bunk each other up to get a look over the fence. I went last and could see my other friends were creeped the F out. There were two dead cats hanging from his tree by their tails with a bunch of doll's heads tied up off the branches and swinging around in the breeze. I could just about see into the house, and there were no lights on and a few candles lit in a circle on his floor. My friend swears he saw a limp human leg, foot in the doorway, but none of the rest of us did. Just as I got a good look, the gate opened and the guy came strolling out, casual as F, with a bloody machete in his hand. We ran, he chased. We all leaped over the mesh fence, and then he was gone. Never saw him again. I still have no idea what he was up to, and we never told anyone for fear of getting in trouble for what we did. Prior to joining the U.S. Navy, my grandfather took me aside and told me several stories of his time spent in the Navy during World War II. It was his way of ensuring I knew what I was getting into. My grandfather was a weapons technician 2WT2 aboard the destroyer USS Maury DD-401 from 1942-1945 and manned a 538 caliber cannon. He survived Pearl Harbor, battle over Taroa, Battle of Midway and the invasion of Luzon to name a few. With only a small shrapnel wound to his leg in all that time. I'd like to share one of those stories of his though as it just blows my mind to this day. The Mori was escorting an HMAS Australian vessel to Espiritu Santo as Japanese forces were still active in the area and Allied forces were actively attempting to keep Guadalcanal and the Solomon secure after previous weeks of battle with the Japanese forces. The night was clear, with every star in the sky. The wind was so low that you could hear gulls fishing off in the distance and the wakes splashing against the hulls of the ships. The air felt like Hawaii in spring, and all you wanted to do was bask in the moonglow. 
Suddenly, voice radio communications from nearby Allied island bases starting chirping away with information about visual confirmation of enemy subs in the area to the north. Soon after, all on deck order was given and everyone was forced stand ready. A team was assigned light patrol and they began panning around looking for subs. Not more than two hours goes by with no visual contact made they are finally given order to stand down and return to shut-eye duty. A few hours before daybreak, contacts from Nendo Island start coming on voice comms warning that potentials are flying around in the area just five miles south of Mori's escort position. Already worried that they may have been targeted by Japanese subs from their bow, they now have to contend with potential aerial assault and everyone is called to stand ready once more. Engines are killed, Emergency lights activated and orders given to kill all lights. My grandfather, manning his light, is immediately ordered to put that candle out and pushes the searchlight straight down into the water, turning it off. When they finally stop moving, the crew can hear the low-tone humming of several planes passing parallel to their position. Everyone holds their breath and pretends to pretty much not exist, hoping the enemy doesn't make visual contact with the ships. So for a good long 45 minutes, everyone just sits there. Until they can no longer make audible contact with their enemy forces they hoped would pass. Finally, after almost two hours of nothing, they are given the go-ahead to start the engines and return to the passage. My grandfather flicks his cigarette port side and clicks on his searchlight, still pointing into the water. What he says he saw next aged him and the two others with him a good ten years. Below, where the searchlight sat focused in the water, lay an eyeball the size of a basketball, sitting there, staring straight back at him from about ten feet underwater. The next three seconds lasted minutes in his mind as he watched this silvery disc of an eye look straight through him. Finally, the first of the engines started in what seemed like forever, and the beast that it was broke surface for a brief moment in order to dive deep. Even before people acknowledged giant squid existed, before they were ever caught on camera, my grandfather believed because he had seen one within 20 feet of his face. In my eight years of service, I had heard many stories of such things and even own a few teeth pulled from the rubber liner of a ship, but never had any such experiences myself. Adding that experience in lieu of the drama of war, and you can get a sense for the true terror it would invoke. My grandfather, who passed away at 93 this July, told me this one growing up. Thanks to all that served and thanks for reading. This incident happened to me when I was a boy. My sister, myself and my parents lived in a small trailer out in Connorsville, which is a little ways out from Bardo. My sister and I shared a room with a bunk bed and there was always something kind of off about the room. There was one night when my mother came in while my sister and I had been asleep for probably three or four hours. She woke us both up and said, I don't know what it is, but you two need to come to sleep on the floor of your dad and mine's room. There's just something not right. So we hated to, but we went in there and we fixed the bed on the floor and my mom. She went through the house and checked the locks and everything, and everything was fine. So we all laid down and I'd say an hour and a half later. There were sounds at the front door and we heard the front door open. My mom was up, I guess, and my dad and sister both were asleep. 
I was still awake and we heard pitter-patter, almost sounded like children running in the house. This was about 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. The way the trailer was set up, you had a door that connected to the hallway and to my parents' bedroom and one into the bathroom. So we heard these things run into the bathroom. You could hear them giggling and then it was just the weirdest sound. It didn't sound like a usual childish giggle. My mom thought she had locked both of the doors that connected to the bathroom and to the hallway. Well, the door that connected to the hallway, it opened slowly and this little short thing peeked its head through. Pardon my French, but it scared the hell out of me. It looked almost like it was wearing a hood on part of its head. It was probably about two and a half to three feet tall, and the face it was a... The only way I can describe it was it looked almost like a gargoyle. As far as the face, deformed like some of them can actually get. It was grotesque, and it just giggled, putting its hand on its mouth almost like, you know, I didn't mean to disturb you. It just stood there for a minute, and I'm about to have a panic attack, you know, sitting there, staring at that thing. I couldn't move. I felt like I was in shock. And my mom, she didn't move or say anything, you know. I didn't think she knew I was awake. And after a few minutes, it went back in the bathroom with the other ones and shut the door. They were in there to close to daylight. Then the door opened, and then they went right back outside. I didn't tell my mom what I saw until a couple of days later. I was just too afraid that if I did, they would just come back. And I told her and she told me she saw the same exact thing. Dave asks about what prompted her to go in and get the kids. That night, she had like a feeling like God was telling her to get the kids. Bring them in the bedroom. They don't need to be in there. She said that's the only way she can describe it. She said she was laying there asleep and then she just woke up and that feeling just hit her harder than a brick. It felt like it was trying to make its territory known. Basically, we can come and go anytime we want. It was playing mind games with us, my mom and myself. The feeling I got from it was that it was not good. It was evil. In June of 1995, a man sightseeing in Quebec snapped 76 photos and made four videos of an area known as Park des Seven Chutes or Seven Chutes Park near St. George's de Beauce, Quebec. As he browsed through the pictures, something odd caught his eye in photo number 32. There appeared to be something strange standing amid the trees. When the photo was enlarged, a tall brown figure with a baboon-like snout becomes clearer. Not only that, it seems to be clutching a white dog and appears to be staring towards the photographer. He had not seen it when he took the pictures. The photographer who wishes to remain anonymous went back to the area and had photos taken with a man standing in the same spot for comparison, as well as to see if there could be another explanation. Some skeptics have suggested it is a rock formation, but the subsequent area photos do not support this theory. Others claim it's simply a case of pareidolia, the phenomena of seeing faces or other distinct images and objects such as clouds tree formations, or even a cinnamon roll. Remember the famous cinnamon roll that had the uncanny likeness to Mother Teresa of Calcutta? There seems to be more than that to this particular image, however. So what is the thing, and why is it holding a small dog? If it's a Bigfoot, it doesn't match up with most descriptions by Bigfoot eyewitnesses. 
This animal has a snout like a dog or wolf, leading some to call it a dogman or a werewolf. I've always been fascinated by cryptids, creatures of folklore and mystery that exist on the fringes of our understanding. My friends and I often ventured into the backwoods of Montana, hoping to catch a glimpse of these elusive beings. But never in my wildest dreams did I expect to encounter something so eerie and inexplicable. The other night, our curiosity led us deeper into the forest than we had ever ventured before. As we trekked through the darkness, we heard strange yelps echoing through the trees, sending shivers down our spines. We knew we were not alone, and the hair on the back of our necks stood on end. And then we saw it in intense yellow light glowing amidst the shadows. It danced and flickered, illuminating the surrounding foliage. It was like nothing we had ever seen before, and it seemed to move with an almost intelligent purpose. Fear and fascination battled within us as we stood there, transfixed by the mysterious light and the eerie sounds that accompanied it. We couldn't tear our eyes away, even though every instinct told us to run. It was as if the forest itself had come alive, and we were intruders in a realm we could not comprehend. Eventually, the intensity of the experience overwhelmed us, and we turned on our heels, fleeing from the strange phenomenon. We rushed back to the safety of civilization, our hearts pounding in our chests. We were shaken, unsure of what we had just witnessed. Back in the safety of our homes, we tried to rationalize what we had seen. Was it some kind of natural phenomenon, a trick of the light, or perhaps an elaborate prank? But deep down, we knew it was something else, something beyond our understanding. Despite the fear, our curiosity remained unquenched. We couldn't let this encounter go without further investigation. So we made a bold decision we would return to the backwoods of Montana on Friday night, determined to unravel the mystery and perhaps catch another glimpse of the enigmatic yellow light. As Friday approached, we prepared ourselves mentally and emotionally for the upcoming adventure. We equipped ourselves with flashlights, cameras, and any gear that might help us document and understand this strange encounter. Our hearts raced as we entered the forest once again, this time under the veil of night. The memories of the previous night's encounter lingered, but our determination pushed us forward. We moved cautiously, following the same path we had taken before. The night was dark and quiet, with only the sounds of the wilderness surrounding us. As we ventured deeper, anticipation mingled with trepidation. And then, just as we hoped, the faint glow of the yellow light emerged from the depths of the forest. Holding our breaths, we approached slowly, determined to observe without disturbing whatever lay before us. The yelps echoed once more, and the yellow light danced, captivating us once again. But this time, we were prepared. We documented everything video footage, photographs, audio recordings. We were determined to gather as much evidence as possible to help us understand this cryptic presence. As the night wore on, we remained vigilant, hoping to witness more clues that might reveal the truth behind this elusive phenomenon. Time seemed to blur as we stayed hidden, waiting and observing, until the first light of dawn began to break through the trees. Exhausted and exhilarated, we emerged from the forest with a sense of accomplishment. We hadn't solved the mystery, but we had collected valuable data that might lead us closer to the truth. 
Now, as we analyze the evidence and share our experiences, our journey into the backwoods of Montana continues. The thrill of the unknown drives us forward, and we remain determined to uncover the secrets hidden within the darkness of the forest. Who knows what other cryptids and mysteries await us in the vast wilderness? The adventure has only just begun. Hello. I'm reporting that these entities were in my home on November 15, 2016 in Peoria, Illinois. I awoke around 2.30 a.m. to see three beings standing at my bedroom door. They are translucent, soft light emanating from their bodies. I sat up in my bed and stared intently. My impression was of a mother with a child. She was tall and lean with olive-colored dark eyes. She had long arms and no clothing. I could not see any specific genital shapes. Her mouth was narrow with an oval-shaped face, no hair on her body. The child entity stood next to her mother holding her leg. The child was up to her hips. I felt this was a boy. Same appearance, but smaller and stout with arms and legs. The eyes were very large and looking at me as if this was its first time seeing a human being. The third entity stood behind them. Same soft light emanating from the body. At this point, I could tell all three bodies were floating like a hologram. The third entity was different in that on top of its head were these antennas with olive-colored eyes. There must have been eight or so of these attached to the head and looked like part of the scalp. I thought this being was a scout and the antennas were cameras. I tried to get up out of bed and the beings turned their backs and floated down the hallway and disappeared. I thought, okay, that was a strange experience. Around 3 a.m. the next evening, the being with the antenna on the head appeared standing in my hall near my coat closet and hanging onto the woodwork. I looked up and waved my hand. It matched my hand wave and a slight smile like a Mona Lisa smile appeared on its face. I tried to get up and it disappeared. I could only describe the movement of the beings as watching seaweed floating in the ocean. They were opaque, but I could see through them. I remember feeling joy unlike any other an overwhelming sense of love and wonderment. It was a marvelous experience. I wish to remain anonymous. My family would not believe me. I have told two close friends. Whether they believe or not, I do not care. I felt like sharing. I believe these beings walk among us at this moment, observing us. Maybe they are here to help or just waiting to pick up the pieces after we are departed. When I was about 14 or 15 years old, my parents went out for a date night, and I was watching my little sister, who was about 12. She wanted to go next door to watch a movie with her friend. Her friend's mom worked nights, so she was there alone. I told her fine. Around midnight or so, she calls the house crying, telling me to come over and help, and hung up. I had no idea what was going on, so I ran over there and busted through the front door, screaming their names. They didn't answer, and I found them sitting on the ground in the corner of the kitchen, literally freaking out. They told me that the pantry door slammed by itself while they were in the living room. The living room and kitchen are connected, but separated by a counter, so they watched it happen. I thought they were full of shit and just were watching a scary movie and convinced themselves they saw it. Almost immediately after that, a door upstairs shuts. 
I heard it and told them it was probably just a window that was left open that caused it to happen. I was so convinced that was it. I had them follow me upstairs to check. I wish. I had never done that because we checked every room and no windows were open. Kind of confused, we headed back downstairs. I make it maybe four steps down where the door at the top of the stairs opens and slams shut like someone kicked it shut. Hi everyone. I don't normally make posts like this, but this is a very strange occurrence that I just had the urge to share. I do consider myself spiritual, but I am in no way religious or actively practicing anything. Yesterday, I was in my bedroom with my younger sister, and I was braiding her hair. It was taking a long time, and I really had to use the bathroom, so I told her to give me a minute, and I walked out. It's important to keep in mind, I didn't tell her where I was going, what I was doing, or how long I would be gone. I just got up and went straight to the bathroom. I was in there for about 10 minutes because I had gotten into an argument with my friend over text, which is important to note because it doesn't normally take me long to use the bathroom. After I'm finished, I walk out of the bathroom to wash my hands our sink is on the outside. When I walked out, I was in direct view of my sister because the sink is across from my bedroom door. As I was washing my hands, I noticed she was staring at me with a perplexed look on her face, so I asked her what was wrong. She calmly asks me how I could have walked out the bathroom. This was a very oddly worded question, so I asked her what she meant. She asked me, weren't you just in the living room? And I told her, no, I've been in the bathroom the whole time. My sister began to look very sick as she told me, I just talked to you in the living room, when did you walk in the bathroom? In a very concerned tone, I insisted to her that I did not enter the living room, and since I had gotten up and walked out of my bedroom, there was no point in which I had entered the living room. I asked her what I had said to her when she saw me in the living room. She tells me that she saw me sitting on the couch with my hands neatly folded, and I was staring off into space. She then told me that I had a very disturbed and concerned look on my face, which prompted her to ask me what was wrong, to which she claims I responded, nothing, in an eerie tone. My sister claims that she the me she had seen looked just like me. My hair was in a loose bun. I was wearing my same gray shirt and old red pajama pants. My face was the same. Everything was the same. But it wasn't me. I know it wasn't me because I have no recollection of that happening. I was in the bathroom the entire time distracted by my heated discussion. I have no idea how this happened, but my sister told me after our exchange. She felt nauseous, like something was off. I'm not sure what to make of this. I am a pretty rational person and have heard stories like this before. I want to look into possible carbon monoxide poisoning because it has been known to cause hallucinations. However, only my sister has experienced this. Neither me nor my roommate have seen anything out of the ordinary. We've been theorizing about parallel universes, possession, demons, curses, but we really don't know what's going on and are just looking for some answers.